Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show, bringing you inside rumors and transactions around the league with your hosts, Keith Smith and Trevor Lane. Brought to you by LakersNation.com and CLNS Media. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the NBA Front Office Show. That's right, it's the offseason, but that really means it's just our time to shine because there are a ton of things going on around the world of the NBA. I'm Trevor Lane from LakersNation.com, joined as always by Keith Smith of Yahoo Real GM and pretty much everywhere. Celtics blog all (laughs) over the place. Keith, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, it's weird. It's uh, it's the off season. There's like no clarity on when anything's gonna happen, but the draft. But yeah, we've already got all sorts of stuff cranking and happening. So yeah, we're good, good, good times. You know, always with the NBA. Yeah, and that's what's great about this league is even when that's I think better than any league. The NBA off season is just it's full of so many different storylines and drama and all these different things to talk about. So it's why I love covering this sport. But uh, before we get into everything, and what we're going to do today is we're going to do a breakdown of uh, of the Atlantic Division. We're going to look at all the different teams there, what they what they're going to be doing this off season. Plus, we're going to talk about some of the big news topics of the day. But before we dive into it, quick reminder, make sure you give us a rating, a review, and subscribe over on uh, Apple Podcasts. We always appreciate reading those, so if you guys wouldn't mind doing that, and then don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Front Office Show. So, uh, Keith, I guess let's start here. Let's start with this big, big story, probably the biggest story, because so many teams are setting up for cap space in 2021 or eyeing this particular player on the trade market. Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks story came out that the Bucks are determined that even if Giannis says, no, I will not take this max contract from you, I'm not going to sign it, they will not trade him. They will spend the season instead trying to convince him to stay. Do you buy that? Do you believe Milwaukee will actually do that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I do. I, I think because they don't necessarily have any other choice. I think when you're a small market team that is not going to have meaningful cap space, even if you do move on from him, um, you, you, you can't necessarily, uh, you know, just say, all right, we're going to let him go. Because the reality is with Giannis, you're already made title contender next year. You're, you're probably the best team in the East again, in the, at least the regular season. And if you can fix a few of the things that have plagued you, you can probably get to a finals and maybe win. And at that point, if he leaves, well, you know, all right, mission accomplished. You won a championship. So, so yeah, I, I think it is interesting to, go through it because I don't think he's going to do the super max signing. I think he is going to play it out and let it get to free agency. It just kind of the, the generally the way these things go. Uh, most guys will kind of let it play out, especially with some of the uncertainty mm-hmm. going on right now around the league. Um, but yeah, then, then, you know, at that point I get the idea of, well, they should trade him before he leaves for nothing, right. but I don't think he's, he'll, you know, the likelihood that he just leaves as a free agent, you know, it would probably be more likely a sign and trade or something like that. But, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Now, for our purposes, yeah, I hope he plays out the year and becomes a free agent because it makes everything far more entertaining. <laughs> right. And there'll be trade speculation, you know, all year long. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. Well, that that's just it, Keith, right? Next season, let's say the Milwaukee Bucks decide they are not trading him and he does not sign that contract this offseason. Every team that they go to every road game, however many road games there are, we don't even know what next season is going to look like. Everywhere they go, 
they're going to get the question over and over and over again. What's going on with Giannis? Hey, Giannis, would you consider playing here in this city? You're going to be dealing with that storyline the entire time. And then the Bucks are kind of going to be sweating it out because if he's going to become a free agent and you're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline and he's not giving you any assurance that you're that he's staying, can you really risk him walking away and getting nothing in return? Then you're really in trouble, right? Yeah, and I think that's the key part is they're not going to trade him in the offseason, mm-hmm. but you still have all the way up to whatever the trade deadline right. is to, to find a deal then. So, so there's not a lot of rush. He's also not, um, and I'm not, you know my feelings on this quite well. I have no problem at all with Anthony Davis saying, I want to go to the mm-hmm. Lakers. That's where I want to be. Um, that that didn't bother me in the slightest. Um, but what is, Giannis is not doing that either, right? There is no, like, I'm going to the Lakers. Right. That's where I want to be. Yeah, that also makes it a little easier to say, you know, hey, we're not going to trade the guy, and then we'll field all the best offers later or, or whatever it does. But it's also one of those things where talk is cheap right now, right? Nothing can happen. Let's wait and see what he actually does when he's offered the, um, you know, full max extension. You know, if he doesn't sign it then, well, then, all right, I kind of get, you know, why they might look to to move on. If he does, well, then clearly he's going to be in Milwaukee. So let's wait and see when that actually plays out because a lot of things could change between now and then yeah. as well from the Bucks side. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things that are still up in the air. So we'll see where it goes. But it's just interesting that they're already kind of putting that out there that, hey, we will not, yep. not be trading him. But uh, yeah, and in theory, whatever offers are there now, if they suddenly said, okay, well, we're going to listen to trade offers, even if they said that now, the offers that are there right now, would still be there at the trade deadline. They're, that's not changing. So no reason to hurry. Yep. Um, interesting one. Yeah, I mean, it's Giannis, right? Like, exactly. Yeah, you're not, you're going to trade for him no matter when you can, if you can. Yeah, and teams, it'll be the, you know, take my money meme. Teams will give up whatever they have exactly. to in order in order to get him. Yep. Um, so yep. the next thing we need to talk about, Luol Dang. Somehow back in the headlines, this is this is like the salary cap expert story of the, the week or something because <laughs> – Right. I was not expecting to see this. Suddenly I get that notification on my phone from Shams Charania saying that the Lakers are trying to clear Luol Deng's salary off of the books. I feel like it's unlikely to actually happen since he did play 22 games for the Timberwolves after leaving the Lakers, after the Lakers waived him. He is still on the books for the Lakers as dead money because they stretched out that salary. He's on there for $5 million for next season. And then the following season still... It's the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you so much, Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak. But what do you think about about this? Is this just might as well take a shot and and pray that maybe it it works, or or is there some real possibility here that Luol Deng's money comes off of the Lakers' salary cap? Yeah, it's interesting. I think back to I think probably the first round of podcasts I ever did with you uh, for Lakers Nation. This was a huge talking point, right? Because it was when they were trying to clear cap space to be able to go. Excuse me. Um, I didn't even have a chance to hit the mute button. Um, When they were trying to clear cap space to go get LeBron James, right? We had a ton of conversations Mm -hmm. around, well, you know, it involves, you know, either moving Luol Deng's contract or, you know, uh, being able to, you know, wave and stretch him and those kind of things. And ultimately the wave and stretch is what they did. So, so yeah, $5 million this coming season, $5 million the season after that, and then everything's gone. So I don't, this is one of those where there's no reason for the Lakers not to ask, right. 
right? It, it's not going to cost them literally nothing. It's it's not like they lose a draft pick if the NBA says no or you know anything like that. All the NBA will come back and say is no, that five million stays, and they're right back in the spot that they're that they're already in today. Um, I am with you. I think it's highly unlikely this gets approved. I've seen a lot of people throwing out there, well, the Magic did it for Timofey mm-hmm. Mozgov, and he signed with with um, Kim Key over in Russia. Well, there's a couple different things there. Mozgov signed and then has not played. He he has not played in a single game in the season plus uh, there. There's a lot of speculation that it's it was kind of now it's more of a ceremonial um, type thing than it was anything else and that he's probably never going to play again. But the Magic also did so with the understanding that if he plays 25 games, there is the possibility that money comes back onto their books. And that's where the difference lies. Yeah. What the Lakers are asking to do is have money taken off right now. Right. Where he has already signed with and played with another team. What the Magic did was they already had Mozgov's money excluded. It was already wiped off the books. Then he went on to sign with another team after. The Lakers are, it's just kind of the order of operations here, which makes this very different. And that's why, you know, what the Lakers are going to have to prove to the NBA and to the um, fitness for play panel is that Luol Deng suffered a career ending injury while under contract with the Lakers. It doesn't matter if he went and got hurt by the Tim when he was with the Timberwolves. That has no bearing on this. The rule is it has to have been discovered and happened while there. Well, it's kind of hard to say that that was a career-ending injury when he went on to play the next season with Minnesota. Now, everybody's kind of going to that 25-game marker. Yes, but again, it's the order of operations here. It's not like he took two years off, like the Darius Miles situation way back in the day. <laughs> that was a fun he took one. a couple of years off and then tried to make a comeback, and you know, ultimately that comeback failed. But that that's the difference here. This is not, you know, he immediately, the very next season, when the Lakers decided, you know, all right, he's no longer a fit for us, he came back and stayed and played the next year. And by that point, it was very clear. He's not an NBA player anymore. He's old. He's mm-hmm. not. Skill level isn't there. And that's why he ultimately retired. He didn't retire because of injuries. The other thing that's going to be tough is Luol Deng's on record saying multiple interviews at the end of his last Lakers season, I could have played. But the decision was to not play me because they were going to look at trades or whatever right. the, the case may be. So you're going to have a really hard time, I think, proving this. But again, the outrage that was on both sides of the equation of why for this, this is insane. Well, that's stupid. They should ask. It costs. Yeah, of course. Right. And then the Lakers fans who went at people really hard for saying, this is silly. This isn't getting approved. Like that outrage is also dumb too. Like there's no, like, like what, it's just one of those things where it's like, why are you so mad about this? Like, like it's just people kind of stating an opinion on both sides of the fence. Like, and everybody's getting fired up here for really no good reason. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a. It, it, you might as well take a shot at it. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, somebody, absolutely. somebody tells you, hey, here's a basketball. If you can throw it three quarters of the court and make it, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Of course, you're going to take the shot, yeah, even absolutely. if the likelihood isn't isn't that high. It landed the free throw line or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but you know what? I think it's it's worth the the it's worth the chance to to go for it. And then if they do get it, though, Keith, you brought up Darius Miles. 
how quickly would teams be calling Luol Deng <laughs> to try to get him in, just to throw him in some preseason games or something to put that money back on the Lakers' books? I could see a scenario like that playing out. Yeah, um, funny. That was yeah, yeah, some wild a times. really bad team. You know, like the yeah. Knicks, like brings him in and is like, yeah, we're gonna play him for, uh, you know, he's gonna be, you know, playing twenty five games for us. And you know, what would be even funnier is if they subbed him in, like, you know, for ten seconds. In yeah. twenty five, each of twenty five games, and that was all. <laughs> all like you know, could you imagine? I mean, and it's the NBA, so let's not count it out, right? And you, you know, what's know. funny is I, I think the bigger thing here is we're so starved for any kind of transaction related news that this minor little thing became became a thing. Now, yes, if it gets approved, it, it's pretty big for the Lakers to get rid of that yeah. money uh, this off season, and more importantly for next off season. Right. This offseason, I think they're probably going to stay over the cap. I think we all kind of can see the way this is going to play out uh, this offseason. It's next offseason, which is the big one. And that's where, you know, that's if you're if you're going to have Anthony Davis on a max, you have LeBron. That's probably your last crack at adding a third star to the mix in that, you know not having 5 million just kind of clogging up your books you'd rather not than than have it so yeah again and the other thing that's important to know too is there's a lot of people saying why is this happening now what well, had to happen by the time Deng's original contract would have run out which was now it would have been ending you know this year so so that's why they they were able to to get in there and, and get that done so so that's that's you know kind of where it all kind of comes down to well i mean worth a shot and if it works out like you said it could yep. put the lakers in a very interesting position cap wise for next offseason depending on the moves that they make this offseason and, and and by the way i'm going to give myself a little pat on the back for not saying summer for saying offseason <laughs> i have made that mistake right? so many times in the last week or so um another big one daryl morey out in Houston. I was pretty surprised by this one. I mean, it seemed like he's been, you know, been praised by their organization time and time again as being the best GM in the NBA, but ultimately he decided that that he had had enough and he was ready to go. Uh, did this one catch you by surprise or did you kind of see the writing on the wall for, for uh, Daryl Morey leaving? It definitely caught me by surprise because I didn't expect it. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, maybe I should have seen this mm-hmm. coming, I, I guess is the best way for me to put that. Um, yeah, broke right after we finished recording last week, right? right? I think we you know, were, were barely done, and then we were like, well, that happened, so all right, <laughs> well, we'll get to it next time. Um, but yeah, it's a... I think there's a couple things here, and I, I don't want to go down the whole conspiracy theory stuff of he was fired because of the China thing and games came back on in China and all that stuff. I don't. Right. There's nothing to really I've back that, that that makes you know enough sense. And and there are uh, other websites and YouTube channels that you can go to to watch that sort of uh, you know <laughs> nonsense, I guess. Um, but for me, I think it's more a case of Tillman Fertitta is difficult to work for. Right, he doesn't want to spend. He doesn't want to be in the luxury tax. I think Maury looked at it as unless I, you know, now spin Harden or Westbrook off, it's going to be hard to rebuild this thing, you know, here in Houston where it kind of are what we are. So I think that becomes a huge, um, you know, kind of sticking point there. So, so yeah, I guess it doesn't, you know, necessarily surprise me there as a lot of people came out and said too. He's a guy who has other interests. He has um, a couple of younger um, children. Uh, not, you know, kids, but, but, you know, children who are, you know, going to be headed off to school and stuff soon. Mm-hmm. So he wants, sounds like he wants to spend as much time with them as he can. So I think that all kind of, you know, fits and makes sense. What I am very confident in is 
it won't happen now, but if we get into the year or this time, well, not, hopefully not this time next year, but next off season, um, he'll have his pick of jobs if he yeah. wants one of whatever's open, and that that'll be the thing. So I'm I'm curious to see where he what he goes and does next. You know, there are some people who said, well, you know, maybe he goes and you know, tries his hand at the NFL or Major League Baseball or something like that, or maybe he's just going to go off into the business world. So, you know, I guess we'll ultimately see. But, yeah, that, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I agree. If he decides that he wants another NBA GM job, it's his. He will he will get one. There will yep. be numerous teams wanting him to, to come in and take over that role for them. Uh, and then we saw the coaching carousel continue. Doc Rivers, the 76ers, Ty Lue now with the Clippers. We're seeing these guys find homes at this point. Nothing too shocking just yet. I mean, the Ty Lue thing just got finalized with the Clippers. Makes sense to me in terms of having some consistency because he was with them last year, but still having a change at the top. It did feel like it was time for that. Doc didn't have the best record uh, with the Clippers over the past seven seasons, especially in the playoffs. They flamed out a number of times. And then him landing with the 76ers. We're going to talk all about the 76ers today, but uh, you know, I thought that was a I don't know. I, th- I think it's an okay hire for them. I don't know if he's the guy to really loosen up that offense and, and get that team going. But again, we'll, we'll go deep on them and in, uh, in just a bit. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think, yeah, we'll talk more about it then, but uh, I, I like it just from the, the respect standpoint, sure. it's going to come in and command respect immediately in that locker room. And I think it's, um, he's a player ish coach. Like he's not, he's not exactly a player's coach, like what Brett Brown was. So they're, he's gonna, they're gonna have to work there and they're going to have to do some different things, but he's also not, you know, this authoritarian dictator, like uh, uh, Tom Thibodeau is right? right. Like he's not that guy either. So, so that'll be interesting. Um, Ty Lue, I you know I think that's a great hire for the Clippers. Clearly, he's somebody that the players um, back and want to play for, mm-hmm. and that's your most important piece, right? Because you know this could all blow up very quickly on the Clippers. Um, they've really only got George and Leonard for at least one more year, and then we'll see you know what happens after this upcoming season because they can both be free agents. So, which you know we expect that they will opt out, and then whether they stay or not is the question. Um, I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm going to uh, super apologize here because I'm about to butcher it probably badly. That is why but, I didn't uh, mention know, that one, Keith. I, I left yeah, it for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to say it's something like Bjorkren. You know, I, I guess that that's you know my bad. I should have done that research um, before we started the show. But here's what I do know. We'll just call him Coach Nate, I right? Because like um, that is his name, is Nate, his first name. Um Guy who's highly thought of around the league as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, people like to poach successful coaches' staffs. Um, we've seen that years and years now, especially with like San Antonio. Um, so Nick Nurse, you know, getting a guy off the Nick Nurse staff, but um, he had his introductory press conference today. Um, I didn't watch any of it, but reading the quotes and the like from from the different media members who were sharing them, I thought. Um, his ideas about opening up their offense a little bit more, um, a little more free flowing, a little less structure to it. That all sounds really interesting, especially with the pieces the Pacers have um, there. And then I think, um, you know, just his his ideas of, you know, different changing defenses and those kind of things. That's going to be really fun because that's something Nick Nurse has had a lot of success with. So, yeah, I think the Pacers, you know, I'm not surprised they went off the board. Um, they, 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 I think they wanted somebody who can be there long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, I, I don't want to say grow because it's not like they have a 
ton of super young guys, but just somebody who can be there long term and help that that franchise grow from being a you know kind of consistent playoff team into really trying to be a contender. I, I liked it a lot. I more often than not, I appreciate it when a team kind of takes a chance on somebody who they think is going to bring in some fresh ideas, a different perspective. Yep. Sometimes it's somebody who doesn't even have head coaching experience. They've just been an assistant coach or, or something like that, rather than kind of a retread coach that is, that has been around a number of different franchises and uh, you know, well, like, like you know, nothing against the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau, who's, who's still a, a great coach, but sometimes I think you need just that, that kind of breath of fresh air coming in. And I think the Pacers yeah. were in that specific spot where that's, what they specifically needed. So I thought for that team, that was a a great move. Yeah. And I like when you, so let's talk about like the Lakers hiring Frank Vogel. I have no problem bringing back a coach who was um, a previous head coach and maybe had, you know, some struggles, but you got to look at the situation. Like Vogel was never given a roster that was going to win in Orlando. It just, well, it wasn't a good situation. I think he got about as much out of that group as you really were probably going, reasonably going to. Um, so I like the fact that um, the Lakers said, you know what, this was a guy who had a ton of success in Indiana. You know, let's bring him back in. It's what I have a struggle with is when it's a guy who's on like his fifth job yes. and the guy's never been much more than, you know, a 500 coach. It's like, why you know what's this like like where are you going with this those are those are the ones i don't necessarily get because yeah i'd rather see him give, give a uh, up and comer but now three i'm looking at my whiteboard here uh three jobs still open houston rockets new orleans pelicans mm-hmm. oklahoma city thunder um sounds like the rockets are down to their you know uh last group of folks um kind of wondering why that's dragging on quite as long new orleans a from one of the things I'm hearing is they're kind of caught in between this idea of are we going forward and trying to be a playoff team? Um, so then we want a more experienced coach to come in um, or are we going to kind of slow play this right. after falling short this last year and, you know, then bring in somebody who can kind of grow with the young players and then the thunder clearly in a rebuilding spot. So I think they're probably another team that maybe takes a shot on somebody with a more player development background and, those kind of things. So, yeah, the, I would expect those now. You know, the other dominoes have kind of fallen to some extent. I would expect those jobs to be filled here within the next week or two because mm-hmm. we're down to it. You know, we're we're less than a month from the draft, and you really don't want to be drafting a team without a coach in place. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right, right. And, and especially with Ty Lue off the board now, it felt like that was the piece that a number of those teams were kind of hoping to land. Yeah. And so now that he's off the board, yeah. I'm expecting to see them move forward with, with other options. Uh, and that was a great distinction with, with Frank Vogel. I think that he, he brought in the whole idea of, okay, well, I've been away from the game for a bit. I've been studying and learning and modernizing all of my strategies. So he came in with a lot of new concepts that, that, you know, he hadn't really implemented in Orlando. And so I think that was part of it too. He's, he's able to come in and present himself as not necessarily a brand new coach, but as somebody who's going to have some different ideas than what he just showed with, uh, with Orlando. So, and obviously he was successful. And and I thought, well, absolutely. And I thought what was really cool was he built kind of a, especially on the defensive end of the floor, built a defensive system that really worked mm-hmm. in the regular season. But then when it wasn't necessarily working so great in the playoffs, he said, fine, we're going to go away from it. You know, that Houston series, you know, they, they lose that first one. And then pretty much right after that, I was like, all right, we can't play big. Yep. Like we, we, you know, we need AD at the five and 
those kind of things. And then, you know, again, in the finals, they, they, you know, pulled, pulled that card again. And yeah, and I thought those were good going to Dwight Howard against Nikola Jokic and basically saying, go beat him up. And, you know, those kind of things. Like, I think, I, I think he, he pulled some uh, different adjustment cards that are things when he was a young coach in Indiana, he would not have done, right. He stuck with, this is what we did. This is what worked all year long. The kind of things we kill Mike Budenholzer for, yeah. right. Is, you know, these are the things I do. And then we all beat him up. Um, and if right, if the Lakers had imagine if they tried to stay big against Houston and lost that series, right? Everybody would be like, "Fire this guy! Yeah. This is crazy! Get him out of here!" Jason Kidd would right? be and, and, coaching. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And he and he made all the you know he kind of pulled pulled really you know pulled all the right cards out and you know or pulled all the right levers, however you want, whatever phrase you want to use, and you know they they did the right thing. So yeah, I, I think. Um, and clearly I'm biased because I built a little bit of a relationship with him yep. when he was here in Orlando. I really like him. I know he's a very good coach. I just always looked at it as like, man, he's coaching this this garbage roster. That doesn't make sense at all here. Like, you know, they never gave him pieces to even build and win. And I know he used that time off that he had to really, you know, he bounced all over the league. Um, with all different teams and stuff, did some stuff with the Celtics, and um, and I think yeah, like you said, modern, modernized a lot of his his thoughts and got, got themselves going again there. So so yeah, I think they think it's great. Yeah, you know, I, I'm big big fan. And he's the he's the kind of guy too where he's able to roll with things like that. And that's something that I think he didn't feel comfortable enough doing before. And so that's why he was on yeah. um, Zach Lowe's podcast the other day, and Vogel mentioned that that look, I wanted to go in this season and do it my way and take my shot. And if it costs me my job at the end of it, I'll risk it because I want a team to be yeah. run the way I want it to be run. I'm not going to worry about, is this move going to get me fired or not? I'm going to do what I think is right. And that's clearly what he did. He took chances and they paid off and, you know, all the credit to him. Um, yep. Keith, let's get into our, our, our breakdowns let's here do it. of all the teams moving forward. We're going to take a look. We're going to go each show. We'll go division by division. We'll start off with the Atlantic division and what better way to kick it off than with your Boston Celtics who, uh, I mean, not in a bad spot, right? Looked like they could have come out of the, the Eastern conference. They were right there, um, fell to a good Miami heat team, but this is a, a team certainly on the rise. A lot of young players, Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, those guys are certainly just going to keep getting better and better. Uh, contractually, it feels like they are pretty locked into this group, but I'm sure you still have a few moves that they can make here, right? Yeah, um, then it's funny. I looked away to pull up their salary sheet like I don't know it by heart. Um, <laughs> I'm in the middle of a deep dive uh, set of offseason previews for Celtics blog right now. But yeah, um, so with the Celtics, it's the, the big questions are Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Does he opt in? Does he opt out? There's no if way he, he opts, opts out, out right? He Thirty. He's not getting um, 34 million anywhere else. He's not. The only question I think that makes sense is he opts out and resigns mm-hmm. in Boston. Yes. And the thing I've been kind of throwing around is four years, 90 million with it um, front loaded mm-hmm. so that it's, you know, 25 million or so in year one. And then it, then it um, declines right from there. I think that would make sense um, for both him and, and the Celtics. You, you know, um, through our you know, time together in a million conversations, I'm a big fan of the declining contract um, always, especially for older players. Cause I think as their skill level drops off, then their salary yes. obligation drops off smart you know, commensurately as well. So yeah, so I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, I can even be convinced, you know, Boston should go five years if they, if they can make that fifth year, you know, uh, pretty heavily non-guaranteed or fully non-guaranteed. 
guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, so so that's Hayward. Um, I wrote a long, long piece breaking down all the Hayward options for Celtics blog. So if anybody's interested, you can go and find that there. Um, next is Ennis Cantor, five million dollar player option. This one's kind of in ways more interesting than Hayward. Yeah. Hayward's obviously the bigger decision, but with Cantor, I think the thing that 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 people are overlooked because there's a lot of people instantly go to he's not going to get five million again. Well, five million for a backup center um, who can play, and I know the the jokes of can't play Cantor and all that stuff. <laughs> right. He still does have value in the right spot. Um, I think his challenge is he knows if he opts in at five million, he's immediately a tradable piece for the Celtics, and because of his his um, political and personal situation. Mm-hmm. He wants to make sure he's in a city where he feels comfortable and will be taken care of. Um, so I don't think he wants to just opt in and then be up for trade to anywhere. Um, so I th- think it's starting to look increasingly like he's going to opt out. He he had moments in the playoffs, but yeah. but he was not a consistent uh, guy in the, the playoff rotation. I think he looks at that as well. He's behind Daniel Tice. He's probably going to fall completely behind Robert Williams. Yeah. Grant Williams is a better small ball option. So I think he moves on after that. It really starts to kind of get into, you know, bottom of the roster type stuff. Semi Ojale, who's had a role um, throughout his, his, uh, his uh, career. He's got a um, team option first. Then his contract is non-guaranteed, um, but it's basically team option. Then they need it. We need to immediately decide yeah. on um, guaranteeing him or not. Um, I don't know that he's back because the Celtics are under a huge roster crunch. Because the other thing going on with Boston, oh, well, let me finish it out. And then they've got Brad Wanamaker as a free agent. Both of their two-way guys, Taco Fall and Tremont Waters, are free agents as well. Can't, you can't um, get rid of Taco. So, you got to bring him back, right? I, my, my thing is, what I can tell you is their hope would be that they can bring him back another year on a two-way. Yeah. Um, let him continue to develop on a two-way contract and then see where he's at after a second two-way year. That And I think that's probably what's best for him as well. Now, does some team that, you know, is needy for size say, oh, we'll give him a deal right away, you know, a standard NBA minimum contract? Yeah, that could win him away. Um, yeah, and then, of course, you've got the fan favorite factor. Um, I know the team likes Tremont Waters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they'd like to probably elevate him into Wanamaker's spot, and I think they're going to own that Wanamaker probably moves on, and he was a quality backup point guard, so you know, I think he'll probably move on somewhere else. But the big thing is you kind of probably get in the sense of there's not a lot of roster spots. No, there's not. Open in Boston, and they have four draft picks in this draft. They've got three first-round picks and a second-round pick. Second-round pick, whatever, right? They could sell that. They could trade it. They do whatever with it. Um, the – the first rounders, though, they've got 12 tw- or 14, 26, and 30. So 14, 26, and 30. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, combine them together and trade up. The approximate value of putting them all together is about the eighth pick. So I don't know. I think in this draft, you, you know, maybe you could see them put uh, 14 and 26 together to get up to 10 if there's a guy you really like. Um, and he's still there. I think that would make some sense. Yeah. I think a draft and stash candidate probably makes sense for Boston um, there because I think, you know, just they don't, they, they had seven rookies on the roster last year. I don't think they want to bring in, you know, four more rookies. No. Um, I can actually, it's, I shouldn't say I don't think. I know they don't <laughs> want to do that. Um, yeah. And then after that, then it's about Jason Tatum's 
uh, Max extension, which will you know be offered you know about as soon as they're able to, and you know, and we'll see if he ultimately signs that or not, or you know how that works out. Do they, does he go five years in a player option or whatever the case may be? But yeah, it, it's it's um it's probably not going to be a big free agency summer because they're they're dealing with the luxury tax. They're only going to have the taxpayer mm-hmm. mid level exception and those kind of things. But I do think it'll be an active trade off season. I said summer, so I'll put I'll put a dollar. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it'll be an active trade off season, I think, because they're going to be moving guys and creating roster spots and the like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, they're they're in a situation where their roster is pretty well stocked and they're in good shape. I think the Cantor thing was really interesting. I hadn't looked at it that way. I had I had looked at it like you said as five million dollars. He's probably not getting that. He's opting in, but I hadn't considered the whole possibility of him getting moved around. Um, look, the the Celtics historically have had a lot of draft picks. And I think it's fair to say that they have sometimes maybe overvalued those in trades and then not pulled the trigger on some moves. So is this the year that we see Danny Ainge really make some some big moves here? Yeah, what's interesting is um, trading draft picks in the season at the trade deadline has never really been a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. At draft time, Ainge has made a lot of draft day trades, moving picks around, right? That's how they got Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. They traded out of the first overall pick in that draft and picked up the third pick and then a future pick, which then the Kings had their best season in a decade and ended up, you know, instead of being a top five pick, ended up being a the, the 14th pick. Um, the Grizzlies pick is the one that was probably the one they missed on. You That probably should have gotten moved at yeah. some point in a trade to bring in uh, veteran help for the bench. Um, the, the challenge there always was they never necessarily had the tradable contracts. Um, they've always been kind of missing that mid-range type of deal, yeah. unless it was guys on a rookie deal, and those are the guys you're not going to move. So it was always like they, they never really had those pieces unless they, you know, you started talking a three and four for one, which in-season teams don't necessarily really do because that means you're really then having to replace a lot of roster spots yeah. on the fly and those kind of things. But, yeah, that that's the one I think that's going to stick with people is – that Grizzlies pick could have got moved. And then, of course, Memphis was far better than anybody thought this year. It conveys it's a 14th pick again. But I do think he's going to be active in the draft. I think you'll see um, potential of a pick packaged with somebody else to go get someone or at least to clear the salary you know, off the books. I, I think you could see them um, go the direction of combining a couple to move up or moving – you know, 26 for a future first mm-hmm. or something like that. Those, those are the things I think. I think Ainge is in a good position to the guy we really want is there and we only get to move up a few spots. We can now pull that off. Or another team's like, we really want player X and he's on the board at your pick. We'll give you a future pick for that pick and, you know, whatever the case may be. But I do think you're going to see them come out of this, you know, with – not using four draft picks on the night of the draft. Yeah. I think they definitely, you know, move some of them. They're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to find something. And I think yeah, those, yeah. those deals will be out there with as much, uh, yeah. the, the parody that we have perceived in this draft that you can find somebody late. That's probably just as good as somebody earlier. Yep. I think that'll open things up a little bit for, for more movement uh, within the I draft. Agree. So, um, all right, let's move on to the New York Knicks, the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau now coaching. Um, which they they brought him in. I don't, I'm looking at the Knicks and I see they are one year away 
from being out of salary cap hell. And in fact, they, they could get themselves out this year, depending on all of these options that they've got. You've got uh, team yeah. options on, on Taj Gibson, on uh, Wayne Ellington. You've got some non-guaranteed money here for, for Alfred Payton. You've got uh, the same, you've got a number of different choices that they're going to Yeah, so let's be clear. I just, just, cause you know, this is my, my sticking yeah, yeah. point here. They're non-guaranteed for Gibson and Ellington, right, not right, necessarily right. team yes, options. Sorry, team option so, for Portis. So what, yeah, uh, yeah, Portis is a team option, right. and Theo Pinson, who they claimed off waivers from the Nets, has a team option too. Um, yeah, Portis is one is the big one because that's fifteen point seven. They're not, they're they're definitely declining that. He's not coming yeah. back to them for that amount of money, um, unless there's some trade lined up that we don't know about. Um, but yeah, Gibson nine point five, uh, Ellington eight million. Alfred Payton, eight million, and Reggie Bullock, four point two million. All of those guys have one million guaranteed apiece. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm hearing is most likely is Bullock is back, which that makes sense. You're not sure. clearing that much room. You're only clearing three point two million. Plus, he's a guy on that team with his shooting ability mm-hmm. and his size at the, the on the wing. Um, Ellington, I think, is gone for sure. I yeah. think Gibson and Peyton are probably both going to be waived, and then the team will eat the $1 million each. But that doesn't mean that they won't be back, because I think what you could see is the team waive them and then re-sign them to a smaller deal, you know, maybe $5 million or something like that after. And I think a lot of that also depends on what happens at the draft. If they draft a point guard, do you really want to bring Alfred Payton back? Cause you've still got Frank Nilakina. Right. You know, what's the point there? You know, if that starts to get real messy um, with that, but yeah, I think there's a chance you see a Knicks team that kind of brings back RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, and that's maybe it ish, you know, from, from uh, this current roster and they're kind of restarting over cause they can get to a whole bunch of cap space pretty easily. Well, so I think that the fact that Thibodeau is now their coach too, that, suggest that that Gibson is more likely to stick around than he would have been previously because we know he's a, I, a typical guy. Um, I just don't think for 9.5. No, no, no. Right. Yeah. yeah I if think I'm, waived, it, resigned for less money. Yeah. 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 That's, that's too much to, <laughs> to pay him at this point. But um, given the spot the Knicks are in, do you like Thibodeau as the coach, knowing that they're pretty close to, to kind of restarting things to, to me, this is a team that was screaming for, uh, some fresh blood, a, a new coach to come in with some different perspectives, and instead they went the other direction. I don't see this team contending anytime soon unless somehow in free agency of 2021, they finally land those big players that they haven't been able to land so far. But I, I don't know if I'm ready to make that leap with them. I think they're they're probably better <laughs> off trying to develop you know, R.J. Barrett and Knox and get the best out of them that they can and then go from there. Yeah, you and everybody else, right? Because it's that's been the Knicks uh, thing forever. Um, here, here's what I'll say with the Knicks is: mm-hmm. I don't like Tibbs as the coach if you are doing the slow rebuild thing. Right. I think the slow rebuild thing is what the Knicks should be doing over the next couple of years. Um, but I just don't think they're going to. I think I think we're hearing so much about they could trade for Russell Westbrook. They could be in the market oh, yeah. for Chris Paul. And that would be the of, most Knicks thing ever. <laughs> it would be. And here's the only reason I kind of even like that at all is you. let's say it's Chris Paul. You bring in yeah. Chris Paul, and Chris Paul alone in the bottom of the Eastern Conference probably gets you to respectable. 
you know, maybe not playoffs, but probably get you at least kind of close. So if you bring in Chris Paul and then whatever else you add around him, um, you get to respectable. Now, when you're going into that summer 2021, yeah, you have Chris Paul, but you, other than that, you get a pretty clean, um, you know, cap sheet. Now you can pitch, come play with Chris Paul. Right. That's the only reason I kind of like that is if it's a, you know, a two prong move. But if you do Chris Paul now, and then you go and you double down and add in, you know, and then you're going and, you know, I don't know, you're going to get DeMar DeRozan or something silly, which ties up your, you know, makes your cap a mask going forward. Then why, you know, what, what did we do that to be the eighth seed? You know, I know they want to get back to the playoffs pretty badly, but I mean, I think Knicks fans, I have enough faith of, um, God, they must be, might be the most loyal fans in the league after all this, right? I mean, just how mm-hmm. bad they've been for so long with very little hope. I think, I mean, I, I know, right, like the Lakers went through some down periods, but Lakers fans never really lost hope. They, no. it's still the Lakers, right? Like they were right. eventually going to bounce back. I think Knicks fans have just kind of, well, this is just who we are now. Um, but I think they're also smart enough, though, to say, all right, I get it. Like, let's let's do this thing slower than let's just go chase the eight seed just to get back in the playoffs. I think they'd rather go with the slower rebuild and go. So, yeah, I think it's, it's tough because this is a whole new front office. So we don't know what to expect, you know, right? Like we, we have nothing to evaluate them on yet. I think whatever they do at the draft and then this offseason going to give us a lot of picture into, all right, how quick of a turnaround does this need to be? I think that's a great point about Knicks fans and, and, first of all, how loyal they are. But also there's been this perception, and we've heard this a ton in L.A. too, that, that oh, you know, this city won't stand for a rebuild, right? They're not going to be not going to yeah. be patient. And to me, that's always – that's insulting to the intelligence of your fan base, right? I mean, the Philadelphia proved it. Fans yep. will stick with you if there's a clear with a plan. plan. And exactly. they know, and it's obvious what you're doing, the fans are smart enough, you and you've got to have some faith in them. And so I, I agree. I hope that's not what the Knicks are doing. I hope the Knicks don't do something where they target, hey, this move's going to get us just barely back in the playoffs. Their fans deserve better than that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I rebuild with a plan. They'll buy into that into mm-hmm. that, and go. But yeah, so overall, I, I think you're going to see them go in with a whole bunch of cap space. The question is, how do they use it? That right. that's going to be well. What do they do? Do they use it smartly? Eat a couple bad contracts, pick up some additional assets in exchange for that. Um, do they move on? You know, and maybe you know whether that those assets be in the terms of picks or in young players who can play. You know, do they do something like that, or do they push all in and say, you know what, all right, if the Rockets are tearing it down, let's make a Godfather offer for James Harden or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, Harden by himself. Yeah, you know, we've seen what he can kind of do by himself in the Western Conference. Right. You know, put him in the East, at the bottom of the East. Yeah, that's probably a playoff team because you'll fill it out around him just well enough. But, yeah, I just I just don't – I don't know. It's just hard to really kind of know at this point because we, we're getting very few clues from their front office. You know, we're hearing a lot of, well, they could do this. They could do right. that. Well, you know, I mean, it's the season of could right now, right? It's, you know, and, and we don't know what to base it on. So, yeah. So, yeah, Knicks, as always, they, whatever they do, it'll be something we'll all be watching and talking about for sure. It'll be it'll be entertaining either way, in either in a tragic sense or it'll be a finally they got it type of feeling. Um, <laughs> all right, let's, let's jump over. Let, let's jump across the way here and let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. You know, we've talked about these coaches so far, Keith, and we've talked about, you know, what types of coaches you want in different situations. The Nets, I think, were screaming for a proven coach 
for a team that is expected to contend in at least in the Eastern Conference. And instead, they went with a brand new coach, Steve Nash. And don't get me wrong, I love Steve Nash, but this was a surprising hire to me. Shock. And uh, I'm assuming you were probably a bit shocked by it as well. And you know, more than a bit. I don't know anybody. <laughs> um, I've talked to people who are close with Steve Nash and people who are close with the Nets, and none of them even saw this coming either. This was a, you know, this was um, Sean Marks and Steve Nash kind of getting together and saying, you know, hey, I think we can do this, you know. It, let's see, you know, what happens, yep. you know, sometimes first year head co- coaches work out, right? Ty Lue won a championship is the first time head coach. So, you know, maybe it does work out just fine. Um, you know, we talked about Frank Vogel earlier when he became a first time head coach, wildly successful with the Pacers, you know, so it's just, yeah, it's just going to be, um, it's, this is going to be less about X's and O's and more about managing the locker room and the personalities and all those kind of things. Cause I say this a lot with the nets. I love the talent that they have. I don't necessarily love the way all of that talent fits together. You've got Kyrie Irving is a guy who's been used to having the ball a ton. Kevin Durant's a guy who's used to having the ball a ton. Spencer Dinwiddie has grown into a guy who's used to having the ball a ton. And this year, the Nets put Karis LeVert in the position of, you're going to be the guy you're going to have the ball a ton. Um, Two players who need the ball a lot, you can make that work. You know, Mm -hmm. we've seen that over and over and over again. When you start to get into a third and a fourth player, it starts to get messy. Now, if Marks uses Dinwiddie or LeVert to upgrade other spots on the roster, sure, now now I'm fully in. If he uses, you know, um, Levert's contract plus like Torian Prince to go add a third star that really fits well with Irving and Durant, yeah, it's hard not to be all in. Yeah. You know, on them. You know, my, my thing is I think they're going to do a couple things. They've got to resign Joe Harris. He is, you know, arguably one of the more important free agents because he fits perfectly with this Nets team the way it's being built. He fits perfectly with a, a lot of who, teams. With a lot of he's so good, but with this Nets team, because he doesn't need the ball Mm -hmm. and he can go, you know, five, six, seven minutes without really touching it and then start seeing it on a couple trips in a row and banging jumpers, you know. So huge, you know, I I think they've got to resign him, and then yeah, and then from there, it's you know, what do you do? Is it time to move on from Jared Allen? You know, do do you move on from him and use him for more veteran um, upgrades? Because I think that's what the players are going to be pushing for is we want to win. And then, of course, the other thing hanging over all of this is, can Kevin Durant be Kevin Durant mm-hmm. anymore? I mean, we don't know, right? That's a, you know, and I you know, certainly hope he is. I want him to be healthy, and I want him to be really good. But that's an injury that has either changed or ended careers, you know, over and over and over again, as, even for guys who are a little younger than KD. So I think, I think that's a you know little bit of a worry. And then you've got Kyrie, you know, who he hasn't stayed healthy for several years, um, you know, in a row now, too. So that's another concern is, you know, is Kyrie going to be able to be there, you know, and play 70 games and make it through the full playoffs for mm-hmm. you? So that's why I think it makes it a little harder to say, yeah, trade Dinwiddie, trade Laver, trade all these other guys, because you may need those guys if, the, if, if uh, Durant and Irving can't make it through a full season. Well, that's a good point as far as the, the injury risk goes. But I, I still think that the two teams right now that I think are the most likely to make big moves in terms of a, a big trade, 
It's the 1A and 1B. It's the Golden State Warriors with that number two overall pick and and the Nets. I think they've got the pieces that are interesting to move to where if somebody pops free, you've got Karis LeVert, you've got Jarrett Allen, you've got Dinwiddie, you've got guys that other teams are going to want. But I do think that there is some reason for caution, like you said, because they have had this injury history with Kyrie, with KD, and you don't want to be left scrambling with nobody to put in those spots. So I think they have to be careful, but I think the Nets are going to be aggressive here. Um, And I think another distinction to make with Steve Nash, he hasn't like, like Frank Vogel came up from the film room and, and be, was an assistant and then became a coach. Steve Nash hasn't coached and he's, you know, incredibly smart, but I think it's going to be, I'm not saying he's going to fail, but I'm saying it's going to be a storyline to watch throughout the season. How does Steve Nash do getting thrown into this this head coaching job? We certainly know there were some bumps along the way for Jason Kidd. What's it going to look yeah. like for Nash? Yeah, I th- think hopefully what Nash was able to do, or right, Jason Kidd went right into being a coach, right at, he retired and then was a coach. Right. I think Nash has had a couple years now where he's, he's, you know, I know he worked for the Warriors for a while. I know he spent some time with the Lakers too um, after he was done. So I think those are hopefully things he was able to kind of glean some things, learn some stuff. Um, You know, it sounds like he wants to play kind of fast, which I think would be awesome with the personnel they have. Of course he does. Which is kind of funny because then I want um, want Jared Allen to stay. Yeah. Because I think Jared Allen could really fit, you know, nicely there as an up-tempo guy. Um, But yeah, I, I I think all assuming Kevin Durant is good, you know, maybe he's not great, but he's at least good. I like all the pieces that the Nets have. I just, I worry we're getting a little too far ahead of ourselves with a lot of people saying like, they're going to be title contenders. Like, is it bad that I want to see him play first? I just want to, you know, make sure he can actually still run and jump and beat guys off the dribble and do all the things that made KD such a special player. Um, And then off season wise, yeah, they, they're I think they are going to be aggressive, you know, trying to make moves to get pieces that fit. They don't really have a real power forward on the roster as you look at it right now. Um, so I think that's a you know spot there. Somebody can be a four or five, you know, swing up and play some small ball four. I think they're in a good position though where veterans are probably gonna look at it and yeah. say, Yeah, for a year, especially if guys are like I'm only going to do a one-year deal while I let things kind of settle and reset, and then I'll hit the market next year. A guy like a Paul Millsap. Um, full disclosure, I'm going to mention Paul Millsap probably five million times over the course of these because I think he just fits just about everywhere. Yeah, he does. But he's a guy who would make a ton of sense you know, for this team. If you could get him for part of the mid-level exception or something like that, I think, you know, why not do it, right? All right. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that's something they will look to do is land, if not Millsap, somebody like that, a veteran, a steadying presence that can come in and take over that role. Um, hey, breaking news. Uh-oh. Did you see it? No. Uh, Stan Van Gundy, the new head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh. Or uh, Woj and uh, Andrew Lopez of ESPN. All so, right. All right. Interesting. So Stan Van Gundy. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't hate it either. I don't hate that. You know, I mean, he's been out for a little bit, kind of almost a little bit. I'm going to miss him on TV. Yeah, yeah I was going to say you'll, you'll miss him <laughs> there, but almost a little bit like uh, not quite a longer, a longer spell than Frank Vogel, but time to get away and kind of modernize his own thoughts on on coaching and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, I don't hate that for a, for a Pelicans team that's especially young and kind of up and coming. And he's a guy that, uh, that's been around the league for a long, long time and can certainly guide them moving forward. So... Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. hate that move at all. Yeah, I, I think um, 
Yeah, him as, just as a coach. I didn't like him as a coach slash GM. Right. I thought he made a lot of questionable moves, but just as a coach, yeah, man, he's I, you know I, you know he's clearly did pretty good stuff with Blake, getting Blake as a you know involved as a playmaker mm-hmm. and shooter and those kind of things. That you know kind of unlock Zion like that. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm in on it. I think it's good. Yeah. We'll we'll obviously re- react to it a little more in depth and uh, put our thoughts together. But reacting here on the fly, yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, not a not an issue with that. And so then then yeah. another one off the board. Another one off the board. I gotta get back on my whiteboard <laughs> and erase it. All right, we got two more. Let's jump over to the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, the 76ers, Now with Doc Rivers, um, this is this team. We talked about. I remember talking about it with you last off season uh, that the Al Horford contract could blow up on them, that it was a lot of money con- committed to an aging player. Yep. And it does feel like that's kind of happened in um, a weird fit. Yeah, it, it really is. So when you're looking at this team, I see a lot of pieces that we thought, okay, maybe this works, but over the season it's proven that it just kind of hasn't. So does changing out the coach fix what ails the 76ers or do they need a more major reconstruction here? Like, do you expect the 76ers to start shipping out some pieces and attempt to bring back better fitting pieces? Or do you just let Doc Rivers try to mold what they've got right now? I think it's going to be the latter, at least initially. I think you let him kind of see what he can do with this group. Uh, Tobias Harris played some of his best basketball under um, Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see them kind of, you know, um, put him in positions there. Now, he and he didn't necessarily do that as, as a pure um, uh, small forward either. He was kind of that combo uh, forward there. So I th- think that's kind of the role he has in Philly now with Al Horford. I think um, – Doc has had success with two big lineups, especially with one of when one of those bigs can shoot and pass. Um, uh, sorry, I was just the notifications are still popping in. I was like, "Ooh, what's something else happening?" Yeah, it's standing <laughs> Um, uh, I, I think so. Horford has a chance there. I think you're going to see Embiid probably play some of his better basketball that you've seen him play, and I'm really curious to see what happens with Simmons now. I like it if he puts Simmons in the Blake Griffin playmaker role that he played for him with the Clippers. Um, I think think that would be kind of fun um, there. I don't know, though, but in order to do that, you're going to play him at the four. And that is how Horford moved down. What I expect is by the deadline, whenever that may be this year, um, this team has made a move to move one of those four players and I'd rank it in order Orford, Harris, Simmons, Embiid. Hmm. Um, and I think Simmons and Embiid, I would put, you know, slightly above 0% right. that they're moved. Um, I think Horford or Harris. And I think, think you'll see that because I think they're going to quickly get into it. And as good of a coach as Doc is, I think they're going to look at it and say, he just can't make this work either. You know, there's just not a workable you know, fit with this roster the way it is. And the reality is Al Horford as a, you know, $25 million backup five, while you need a good quality backup five behind Embiid, you don't need to be paying the guy $25 million to do that. Yeah, yeah, I agreed 100% with, with that. I, I questioned how many takers there will be for, for Al Horford. Yeah. I would have to imagine that's not going to be a very long list might of teams. Might cost him a pick. Yeah, it might cost him something in order to, to move yeah. him. Um, but, I, you know, I look at this team and I look at what they did last season. 
bottom third of the league in the league in free throws attempted, bottom third in the league in free throw percentage, bottom third of the league in three-pointers attempted. So you talk about what, like, they have the analytics, all the advanced stats and all that kind of stuff. It's all what you want. Layups, you want free throws, you want three-pointers. And in at least two of those areas, the 76ers are not, not doing so well. And they actually shot a decent percentage from three, but they're just not taking enough of them. Can Doc Rivers solve that problem? I feel like they, the, the personnel just isn't right. And I don't know that Doc is the coach to go in there and try something radical that shifts kind of who these players are and what their DNA is. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the personnel is just too messy. They've got one too many big guys. They've got three guys in their starting lineup that should all ideally be playing playing the four or you know, playing as four or fives. I think on a lot of other teams, Simmons by this point with the way he plays – would be a four, and you could maybe even close games with him at, at the five. Yeah. Now, clearly, you're not going to do that in Philly because you've got Embiid, right? And I, I, I think Embiid's just a you know incredible talent. The worry with Embiid is, I mean, and we saw this throughout the playoffs, it did carry such a heavy load against Boston. By the middle of the third quarter, in every every game as they get swept, he was he was done. Yeah. He was dead, and that's when he starts you know settling for crappy jump shots. He starts his post ups instead of on the block or starting in the mid post, and then pretty soon he's just not posting up at all. And you know, and, and when Joel Embiid is living around the perimeter, yeah, can he make those shots? Some days, fine. But what you want is Joel Embiid. Please make a couple three pointers because then he's going to stay out there all day. You know, and no, I mean, mm-hmm. this is a guy who's maybe arguably the most unstoppable, you know, center in the league offensively down inside, right? I, I don't know that there's anybody else that can touch him um, on on the offensive end as far as the way he can score, as far right. as guys who are true centers. Um, but yeah, the personnel, I don't know. I, I don't think they have it. I just don't think they have the right guys to drastically change the way they play i think you'll see doc break out some of the stuff he ran with um with gallo and harris together mm-hmm. um and i think you'll see him him go to some some of that stuff um with horford and harris where you know horford kind of plays the gallo-ish role um and beads the best center he's you know, really probably ever had um as far as a two-way talent um, on on his team, um, so I think that's going to be you know curious to see how he kind of uses uses Embiid there. But it really just comes down to they just they don't have the shooters. They don't. You know, I think they they have to retain Furkan Korkmaz. They have to resign him because he's the best shooter on the roster. They've got really no real way to replace him, and this team's got minimal resources because they're deep into the luxury tax um, to to do anything. So yeah, it's gonna ha- it's gonna take a a real kind of resetting trade to happen um for them to be in a better spot and it's funny i just i always think back to before last year in the summer when boston was lining up to try and keep al horford how much better it would have been for both boston and philadelphia if he had just stayed and it took a little bit less money and stayed in boston you know maybe the celtics are in the finals this year and philly certainly doesn't have a messy cap sheet moving forward because of horford on there now you've got you know, three max guys in Embiid, Simmons, and Harris, and then Horford on a, you know, pretty big contract for what he is at this point. I just, I don't know how you dig out of that. And then Josh Richardson's got one more year before he needs paid. There's a lot of people think he's the most likely guy to be moved and traded um, to get in, you know, kind of a more real point guard, but that still doesn't necessarily solve things unless you're moving, you know, Horford to the bench. So yeah, I don't know. I, it's, 
if it sounds like I'm really discouraged and down on it, it's because I am. I don't know how this team becomes better than a you know fourth seed, you know at best with the way the East is shaping up. God, I, I just I'm hearing everything that you're saying about the the situation the Sixers are in, <laughs> and all I can think about is what does Sam Hinkie think right now? Like, what does he think about what's happened to to everything that that he built? That now they're in this situation where they're in so much trouble cap wise, the team doesn't fit. What a mess. Yeah, yeah, definitely not what he envisioned. No, this was not what the process was for. Nope. All right, one final team. Let's head up north. Toronto. Let's talk about the Toronto Raptors. I think some interesting things going on there. Their cap sheet looks pretty clean for 2021, but you got to figure out. I think everything in Toronto really has got to start with the discussion about Fred Van Vliet, who was tremendous this season. He was what 17 and seven and 39 percent from deep. Ah man, he is he is a really good player, but Keith, what do the Raptors do with him? Do you pay what it's going to cost to bring him back? Yeah, I've seen some stuff floating around in order for them to maintain a max salary slob, which right there dreaming Giannis. Mm-hmm. Um like, you know, 30 all 30 teams are hoping they'll yes. have you know Giannis. Somehow I don't think he's like coming to the Orlando Magic or the Charlotte Hornets, but yeah, they can dream. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe he wants to be in warm weather. Um, but right, yeah, I might as well dream. But in order to do that, I've seen some estimates floated around and I've looked at it myself. You can't go much more than about twenty million for Van Vliet in salary mm-hmm. for next year. Not not this coming year, for but next, the next year. year. Um that can't be you can't have much more than that on the books. And that that starts to become tough because Detroit could certainly use him. I've heard a lot of rumblings that Atlanta kind of likes him um, to kind of play the similar role alongside Trey Young right. that he did alongside Kyle Lowry. Um, it is kind of related aside. I had a couple of coaches tell me they think what the next big thing, right? They think um, small ball has kind of reached its um, peak mm-hmm. here, like how much smaller can you get? But what they think you're going to see is backcourts go to two ball handlers um, uh-huh. in backcourt. So kind of more two-point guard groupings. Um, and they point to Toronto as having had a lot of success with that, um, as well as the the, um, the Thunder this year, yeah. right? Rarely, with- rarely played without two ball handlers on the floor with Paul, SGA, and Schroeder. Um, so so I think that's something to watch. So so that's why I think teams are maybe looking at Van Vliet a little bit differently, saying, well, it doesn't necessarily need to be a po- pure point guard right. for us. The Knicks need a point guard, right? They could use a long-term point guard option. The Pistons are a team that could use a long-term point guard option. Because of that, he's going to have his opportunities to sign somewhere for big money. Um, And because of that, I don't know that Toronto can get away without paying him you know, a lot more than what I think they would ideally like to. And I think that's going to make it really difficult for them to retain him. At least for this coming season, you can sell it as, well, we slide Norman Powell in, who had his best year as a pro. He'll slide into the starting five. We draft really well. We find talent. They've got Terrence Davis. They've got Matt Thomas. A couple other guys. We'll be okay. But it's that long term. Van Vliet's clearly proven he can be a um, a uh, good starter on a championship level team. Right. Um, so that's the that's the thing. If you're the Raptors, of you know, do you want to sacrifice that? And does it maybe send a little bit of the wrong message to Lowry, Gasol, Abaka of like? All right, you know, well, we're kind of tearing it down for a year. Not tearing it down is too, too, too much. Um, but you know, we're kind of taking a step back there it is. for this next year to have you know um, a good way to move forward mm-hmm. in the future. And does that make them? Uh, Lowry's obviously under contract for another year, but does that make Ibaka and Gasol say, 
I might only have a year or two left. Maybe I want to play this out somewhere else. Yeah, what what do you see happening with those two? Because those are those are the kind of the next free agents that we need to talk about here from from Toronto. Gasol and Ibaka. Now there's a lot of bigs out on the market, but I know a lot of teams would also like to have a veteran who can stretch the floor the way both of these guys can. So do these guys kind of say, well, we don't quite have enough right now and Toronto's really waiting until next year to hit the free agent market, so we're gonna go somewhere else? Or is it just, you know, things have things went well enough in Toronto last season to where they just say, okay, well, we're, we might as well stick around. Yeah, I I would hope what they'll do is they will pay them both to stay, mm-hmm. but pay them both for one year only. Because you can't give them long-term because no. that messes you up for, for the future. So I kind of look at it similar to, we'll talk about this when we get to the Heat, but what the Heat, I think, are going to do is give Goran Dragic a huge contract this year. And then... When he's a free agent next year, they'll renounce him, re-sign him with leftover cap space exception or whatever. And, but really, you want to look at it as whatever he gets paid this year, $20, 25000000 million, add that to whatever he gets paid for the next mm-hmm. few years, and that's really what the life of the contract becomes. I would like to see Toronto you know, pay Ibaka. You could pay Ibaka another you know, $20, 25000000 for this year. Mm-hmm. You know, pay him a whole bunch of money. Because all that one's a little more questionable, I think. His, his game has slipped enough. Where, you know, but if you pay him $15 million for next year, you know, whatever your number needs to be to just probably stay out of the luxury tax and not create problems for yourself there for those two combined, go all the way to that number because you're clearly a very good team right. still. Be a very good team that still conserves all your flexibility going into next offseason. But I think a lot of it comes down to if Van Vliet leaves, do they look at it and say, well, you know, maybe we only pay one of them, mm-hmm. you know, instead of both of them. We take a step back that way. You know, how, how does that you know, kind of work? And I think, too, you know, then you look at it as OG Ananobi needs. He's extension eligible. You're clearly not going to extend him because that'll mess up your flexibility uh, for the 2021 offseason. So, yeah, it's 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 curious. It's um, you know, it's uh, a little bit for this one season only. Masai Ujiri's kind of painted himself into a corner because he can't replace Ibaka and Gasol if they leave. Right. But you you can't give them contracts that go beyond this one season. But there's still very much a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's as we always sure. say, it's the years. Exactly. It's not the money. So if you pay them. Yep. 20 million or whatever for for Ibaka for the for one season that's okay it's not going to hurt you move, moving yeah. forward not sure. going to change yeah. your plan it's going to allow you to be competitive yeah. in the meantime so I think that yeah, is because teams forward. will be lining up to give him their full mid-level exception mm-hmm. or whatever right I've heard the Lakers is a team who yeah. would love to have him you know if they can open up the uh, full mid-level exception um I've heard you know I know Boston likes him but they're the their mid-level but but teams will be lining up to bring in an abaca um he could be a guy that even like an atlanta could look at and say mm-hmm. hey we'll give you a huge one-year contract you know we'll give you 20 to 25 million right. you know so i think yeah pay pay him whatever i think it's all that one's i get it why that one can be a little bit tougher you know he's clearly just you know he's probably maybe got a year or two left in the nba if he even wants to do that so you know how much are you going to extend but yeah my 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 scenario for them is Pay Van Vliet up to whatever you can while keeping a max salary slot open in 2021. Um, so you got to feel really good about your projections there. So so mm-hmm. do that. Then re-sign Ibaka and Gasol to basically almost whatever number makes sense as long as you don't go deep into the tax. For, but for one year, really run it back, 
get back at it with one more year. You're probably a top four team in the East again. And if everything breaks right matchup wise, you could be right back, you know, in finals contention, which is really where they were this year. You know, I know they lost in the second round, but tough seven game series to Boston. Yeah. They would have challenged Miami, you know, in the finals had they got East finals had they got there. So yeah, I have no problem with kind of running it back if Toronto. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's the sensible thing to do from here. And then they can look to that free agent market in twenty twenty one and perhaps yep. bring somebody back up to Canada. All right. Yeah. Keith, it'd be a pretty good show here. I think we, we covered the Atlantic yeah. division. We talked about some news. We even got breaking news mid show. In the middle, yeah. Kinda like we weren't that. expecting. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I I um you know, yeah, no, it was good. I think uh, you know, we hit on all the, the, the big stuff. Um, you know, I will have um I'll jump into the what's coming next. It's kinda part of the show, but I will have uh continuing an off-season deep dive for Celtics blog that is completely Celtics related mm-hmm. and then off-season previews will continue to run over at Real GM um they, they, they will start back up either later this week um or sometime next week um we're, we're working on just timing some stuff and a couple other projects I gotta finish up but yeah and then um if anybody's interested in yeah, when I'm talking about cap space and those kind of things and you want to see there's a tweet pinned to the top of my timeline that has a link to my salary sheets. They've been all updated for 2021. So you can get in there. You can pull those up. You can see everything in there. I even have a projected space worksheet in there so you can see all how I'm projecting options that are picked up versus not picked up, guarantees, all that sort of stuff. It's all in there. So if you want to see that, you know, you can go there. Plus, it's got the full 30-team salary sheets. And I can promise you these are as accurate as you're going to find anywhere. And you can find that at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. So make sure you guys go check yep. that out. Great, great wealth of information right there. Um, next show. Next show, we are going to talk about the Central Division. So that'll be next week. We'll also take a look at... Uh, all the latest news breaking and, and all of that. And I'm sure we'll be sprinkling in some draft talk too as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft. Don't forget, guys, make sure you do rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts. And we do appreciate that five-star review. Keith, thanks, man. This was fun. Absolutely. Thanks, man. We'll be back at it next week with the Central Division. And uh, maybe by then we'll have some clarity on off-season dates, I hope. Mm-hmm. That would be really nice. And, and if we do, we'll break all that down for you as well. That would be great. That would be great. I've had I've been getting so many people asking me, when is free agency starting? I'm like, we don't know yet. I can't wait to and find out. What is out. Anthony Davis's opt-out date? Did he miss it? I've had that question oh, yeah. You know, 15 times. No, yep. nobody missed anything. They're all TBD. Right. <laughs> well, hopefully we will know by next show, which will be next week. All all right, guys. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening or watching. If you're watching us here on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe. Till next time, see you and stay safe.